Welcome to Dragon Talk. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined today by... Uh, your co-host for today, Bart Carroll. For just today. Just today, yeah. and as occasions arise. Maybe for tonight, if you're listening to this in the evening time. Oh, I thought you were taking that somewhere else. No, I, I, <laughs> that's a much different voice. <laughs> different vocal talents involved there. Uh, this is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, but we go there sometimes. It's part of the deal. We're adults. We're humans. We have nighttime emissions. This is the problem with live streaming now. <laughs> it's the There's best no part of live streaming. Uh, so uh, you, you guys who are listening, we uh, debuted uh, the Tomb of Annihilation storyline uh, in Stream of Annihilation, which is like, gosh, like two months ago at this point. It feels like it was just yesterday. But it was two days of nonstop streaming. Go check all that stuff out on our Twitch channel in addition to watching us Goofballs record this live on uh, uh, Mondays at th- uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time on our Twitch channel. That's twitch.tv slash dnd. You'll see how the amazing audio sausage gets made uh, by our amazing friends uh, Sean and Ryan who are doing this all for us as well as Pelham Green back uh, at his desk who's feeding me with questions on these little little fun things right here. Uh, but today we are going to talk to Holly Conrad from Dice Camera Action and uh, get to the bottom of her character Stritch, the Strix that she's been playing uh, for, for many years and her affinity with tieflings, uh, as well as uh, just some effusive uh, commentary about Dungeons & Dragons narrative storytelling uh, in general. I'm saying this because we already did this interview, so we can, <laughs> we can really hype up exactly what we talked about perfectly, right, Bart? Exactly. Uh, what are some things that are going on in your world, uh, maybe in Dragon Plus area, you might want to talk about here? Uh, Dragon Plus, we'll be talking about issue 14, has uh, hit the virtual shelves, our travel special, issue 15 coming out at the end of August, looking at some of our board game endeavors. Uh, what else is going on? Yes, just ongoing building up of our uh, great and glorious Twitch channel. And as, as part of that, uh, just a quick thank you to to all of our viewers participating in the chat and, and watching live while while we put these shows together. So For thank sure. you very much. And uh, to celebrate, we've got uh, I'm just going to say it. We got Force Gray season two uh, starting on July 31st at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You guys are listening to this probably uh, long after we record it, but we want to make sure that you're aware you can watch it. It's got some really big heavy hitters uh, mm-hmm. in acting that you've seen in many other things, including Joe Manganiello, uh, who was at Stream of Annihilation, played a lot of awesome characters, but he's playing Arkin, his uh, Dragonborn Paladin in Season 2 of uh, of uh, Force Grey, along with another newcomer. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall, uh, also from, from uh, True, Blood. True Blood, of course, and, and uh, many other things. We'll What's the pl- character she's playing? Uh, she will be playing, I believe, Jamila, a uh, human barbarian from uh, Chult, one Ooh. of the Chult natives. Uh, she will be helping guide the group through the dangerous jungles. Very cool. Um, and then returning is Dylan Sprouse, uh, playing Tyrell Tallguy, uh, as well as Brian Passane, who's playing Calliope. Calliope. Um, and Utkarsh Umbudkar, who's playing Hitch, Hitch. returning uh, from season one. And uh, as always, our uh, returning dungeon master will be Matt Mercer from season one as well. That's right. So Mondays, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Put that on your schedule. New things are happening every Monday, and it's going to be amazing. You can watch all those. We'll be playing a couple episodes of those uh, uh, to start out on July 31st, and then we'll be following up with uh, with more of that coming out there. So set your calendars. Uh, July 31st onwards, Monday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific time. 1 a.m. Greenwich. 
<laughs> I looked it up. You just did the math? Yes. Nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> Time zones are hard. Um, and then, of course, all weeks along, we've got lots of amazing groups who are playing uh, through to the Tomb of Annihilation storyline. Again, Tomb of Annihilation comes out on September 19th, uh, in-store September 8th. And uh, you'll get all these previews from all these amazing groups, including uh, Maze Arcana, Fury's Reach, uh, which goes on s- Tuesday and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time, um, as well as Mixed Clicks D&D Risen, which is Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific mm-hmm. time. Um, and on Thursdays, I'll be talking to the Girls Guts Glory um, cast members. I, I believe Sujata Day uh, has been in it for the last few episodes that we've been talking about. Uh, so you'll be able to hear about her character, Ichabod, uh, who is definitely very much the, the comic relief of that group there. Um, uh, that's Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And then we'll throw it to Acquisitions Incorporated, the C team, on 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. Fridays, we have Uncharted Territory. That's right. High Rollers, Uncharted Territory, led by Mark Holmes, uh, is at 12 noon Pacific time on Fridays, and then 7 p.m. Pacific time, I'm going to say Pacific time many, many more times uh, throughout this entire announcement, is the Dragon Friends, who are uh, streaming their episodes all the way from Australia. If you're Australian and on those time zones, you can watch that on Saturday at 12 noon uh, and whatever they call those things. What is What do they call the Australian Sydney time zone? Oh, boy. It's Sydney time. There's this trivia we'll question. We'll call it Sydney time. <laughs> and then uh, 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 David Harmon, uh, the DM from Dragon Friends, will we'll, we'll get in touch with him and be like, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not even a British accent. That was just terrible. <laughs> Uh, All right, so that's all the things that are going on on our Twitch channel. Uh, Again, please follow us. We're twitch.tv slash dnd, and uh, you'll get all of the amazing stuff that's going on, uh, including uh, Tuesdays at 3.30 when I run through all this again before we go through Dice Camera Action. And Dice Camera Action is especially relevant for this conversation because of Holly Conrad's uh, interview during this Dragon Talk episode. Uh, You'll get into the the nitty-gritties of all that stuff. Sounds good. All right. Do you think do you think we hit it all? I think, think we hit it all. Let's get to it. All right. Uh, before we get to the interview, we, of course, have a lore you should know segment. Um, and uh, this time it's on a very magical kingdom of Halrua, which I didn't know much about. But now I do. I know everything. You should know. Nice. All right. Well, let's go to that right about Nizau. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I am Greg Tito, and I'm going to pester these two gentlemen about lore from Dungeons & Dragons. I'm Chris Perkins. And I'm Matt Surrey. Nice. We only have to do that for the second time today. Uh, and uh, yes, so we are going to delve into the, is it a nation of Halrua? Yeah. A nation. Yeah, a nation in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, mentioned prominently in uh, a Tomb of Annihilation. Is that correct? It's mentioned in passing. In passing, mm-hmm. I see. Yes. Yeah, so it's another another piece of the puzzle yes. uh, uh, that uh, a, a Halruan skyship makes an appearance in the adventure. Oh, yeah. so they have skyships in Halrua. They, they we'll do. talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Where where is it situated uh, uh, next to the Sword Coast? So it is far to the south. Far to the south. And so, south of Chult? Yeah. Um, I'd have to look at a map. Uh, it might I, be I, same it might be s- latitude. South and, but it's also to the east, uh, east as well. Okay, and um, 
It's got its start um, for a similar reason, actually, as the Hostower of the Arcane in Luskin, uh, which we mentioned on the other segment, uh, which is that uh, the Netherese were fleeing Netheril. So uh, Netheril's this ancient empire of magic where they have um, this thing called heavy magic, which is like this magical goo that they can use to make crazy magical stuff. And they have all these magical mythos and they have all this crazy heavy magic. Yeah, all these weird things that, that is uh, going on in, at that time with magic. And so they're really playing with sort of like the fundamental elements of magic um, and able to just mix and match and do whatever they want with it. And so they have flying cities and flying ships and all these kind of stuff. And this was a human uh, empire. Yes. Yes. And they they did they were they based in land anywhere or was it the flying ships only? They were over an area of what, that is now called the uh, Desert of Anorak. I see. Okay. And the reason that's a desert now is because uh, there was a race of uh, weird magical um, sort of abominations called the Ferrim. And they were at war with the Netherese. And so they had this sort of life-draining, magic-draining spells that they would come up and cast from underground uh, to attack the Netherese Empire. Yeah. So this is going on for a while. They're coming up and draining vast portions of the continent or the area, Anorak and so on, which was normally green and has lakes and all this kind of stuff. And turning into desert and blowing winds, and um, mm-hmm. and the wizards who live up in their flying cities generally don't care. Um, As they're very short-sighted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, until some of them actually start coming up into the cities and attacking them in the cities, and then it starts to become a problem, and it's it's annoying some of the wizards. So some of them flee. Then some of the wizards from Netheril flee at that point, and they go to places like. Um, Illusk, which they found Illusk, which becomes Luskin. Mm-hmm. And Gauntlegrim is, is actually a settlement of Netherese wizards um, mm-hmm. originally. And uh, then there's, uh, they go all the way down to Halrua. Um, then there's uh, Karsus's Folly. Karsus is a super wizard of, of Netheril. He mm-hmm. tries to basically claim uh, the mantle of god of magic yeah. from Mistra, or oh. Mistral at the time. He fails. Big bad idea. In addition to all the ferrum, there's this problem that magic basically fails and the world goes it goes awry and all the flying cities, cities fall. fall. And some of them flee. Um, so like uh, the ones that went to um, basically the shadow fell or the plane of shadow um, become the Empire of Shade, which comes back in uh, fourth edition period, basically. Got it. And in Helrua, uh, they uh, settle down down there. There's, uh, there's wild uh, Rothe and Aurochs running around and then there's some people just sort of hurting them and living in this nice sort of area that's kind of walled in by mountains with an ocean nearby. And so the, so rocks are, are the livestock and yeah, aurochs are like a big bull thing. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and they live there happily for a really long time. And so, do they um, bring the magic with them? They do. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing because essentially how ruin, uh, is, uh, sort of a version of Netherese, so they they basically keep the same language and culture and so on, but they actually end up sort of not being as much of a jerk as the Netherese do, and so um, they survive the the sort of destruction and or, or lack of magic for a period, and uh, they end up kind of becoming a very magical nation. So one of the things that's said about it is that uh, um, unlike sort of a standard 
Forgotten Realms, about a third of the population has some latent magical talent, like some ability. They're intelligent enough and they have enough sort of inborn pedigree to sort of have that. And then like of that number, maybe another third is actually what you would call a first level wizard. Mm. And then some smaller number of that number of people then actually becomes real wizards, but it's it's loaded with wizards and magic and all kinds of new spells and stuff like that. And one of the things they took with them were the flying ships that Netherese had, and so they used those flying ships. And so throughout like the second and third edition period, um, Halru is known for these flying ships mainly because people don't generally get to go to Halru. Yeah, it's so isolated and um, sequestered. The only way you even know it's there is if ships come over the mountains and you see them. Yeah. Um, one of those ships was uh, in the <coughs> Front Realms uh, co- Classics comics, which uh, I had to. I was like, "Hey, wasn't that a Halruin skyship?" And yes, <laughs> it, it was. The, the The wizard, I think his name is. Where is it here? Uh, Dwalamar Omen is a wizard. Uh, this is him on the cover here, white haired guy. He's got a crazy fan of hair in the head. Um, nice. And he flies around with his buddies in the, that comic series. Um, trying to solve various problems and find artifacts and stuff like that on a ruined skyship. Nice. So was the faction that fled uh, the Nethery's Empire, were they uh, like a, a a family or it's like something that like, you know, it seemed like they, they seem more generally good aligned uh, uh, people in, in, in Halrua. Is that true? Or I think is that they were just humans. Yeah. yeah. So they sort of ran the gamut. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's other things too. So like, uh, there's another weirdly highly magical nation in the Forgotten Realms besides Thay and Hauru, and that's uh, an island nation called Nimbral. And so Nimbral is actually uh, refugees from Halrua. So Halrua is is um, obviously a whole bunch of wizards, and they like to worship Mistra and Azuth, and that's kind of their, their primary deities of the magic gods. Um, one of the magic gods uh, is... Um, is uh, I'm going to mess up because there's too many gods with L names. Lyra... The illusion goddess, yeah, and uh, and the, there's a bunch of um, ruined wizards who are really big into Lyra, and they're like, "Hey, our goddess is getting you know downtrodden in this place that just worshipped Mistra and Azuth so much." Mm-hmm. So they actually leave and form another community on Nimbral, oh. and so that is a crazy magical um, island that's protected by all these huge illus- illusions and stuff like that, and weird things that happen there. They ride around mm-hmm. in uh, hippogriffs and have people wearing invisible armor and just as like yeah that. just like you do yeah, I just yeah. have my invisible armor on you can't see it but it's it's there <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so uh so how, what is Halrua uh is it a fertile land do they do is that why the skyships do so much trading is because they need to get food in there like how, how does it work well so uh in the fourth edition well I don't know. um Originally, uh, it's more or less self-sustaining, and the wizards go out in search largely of only important things. So they're only leaving for some really important mission. The the skyships are kind of fragile. It's not a sort of technology, if you want to call it that, that they want falling into enemy hands. So they they only go out on sort of special occasions and certain quests or if they need particular um, items or... Like you can imagine uh, an expedition aboard a skyship to go and see what's up in the desert of Anorak. You know, ages after they've left, you know, some hint of magic that was left behind or some ancient mystery that they're curious to hear about. Or they might go to some other far-flung land because somebody... Was spinning tales about 
a society there with some odd magical ability or magical lore. Mm. Um, or they might need some special component right, you know, for some for ritual spell they're like doing. That, and they, it's not common where they are, and so right. they have to go and do that kind of a thing. So they didn't, they didn't do a lot of sort of like regular trading with other nations and that kind of thing. Yeah. They're not in, expansionist the way that a lot of human cultures are. Mm. Um, they're pretty content with their lot for the most part. They had to contend a lot uh, during the second and third edition periods with um, Dambrath, which is a nearby nation that was sort of would occasionally invade and attack them and uh, had pirates coming to them, ports and stuff like that. So they tended to sort of turtle up. Is um, there a uh, uh, like a fortified city um, that they defend? They have, they have the a number of cities. I forget Their what biggest city is Halara. H a l a r a h h. Got it. And that's where their city government and everything is? Yeah, and they had a um, various sort of, um, uh, there's like a, a coterie of wizards, high-level wizards, that were sort of governing their populace and that kind of a thing. Yep. And uh, so then in the Spell Plague, uh, fourth edition, um, the, the outside world believes that it's been destroyed, and it's just a giant Spell Plague land. Like there's this Plague Rot Lands idea in fourth edition where there's just huge swaths of areas that are just filled with chaotic magic and craziness and mutant creatures and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And all of Hellerua falls into that. And the assumption is that uh, it has been destroyed by this by the spell plague and all their crazy magic that they had got ruined by the spell plague and they were destroyed. Well, in point of fact, these really potent wizards who knew lots of stuff about magic kind of got the warning beforehand and in the switching of worlds and the spell plague and all that happening, they just sort of rode the current and went along to a beer. And so what has happened to them in a beer while they've been gone, you know, and in this other planet, essentially, and now that they're back is a little unclear. People don't really know. I mean, they're just seeing the ships now coming into port or flying over their cities and stuff like that occasionally. So... Interesting. So the, the, they were human. So uh, you know, generations could have passed. Yes. Uh, uh, and and did they, or did they? Are they are they individuals that people know of being Hal ruins are still alive? Uh, I imagine m- most of them being humans that that we would know. They're probably dead. But there's lots of ways to to extend your life in D and D. So I guess there's that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're a wizard on, yeah. on a skyship. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. I, I would love to figure out more about how they rode that wave uh, uh, and uh, delve into that. Uh, they did it with magic. They did it with magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things where, where this is one of the most highly magical societies in the world, and uh, it's uh, organized, and it generally isn't very fractious. So someplace like Thay and so on is much more... Fractious, um, and you know when you look at the the uh, map of the world and you see that you know Nimbril disappeared or Lantan disappeared and uh, Halrua disappeared, but they didn't disappear. But it wasn't also covered in crazy plague rot magic, mm-hmm. right? Well, the, well, there's a reason for that. Some of these places just decided to maybe put in some protections yeah. and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, do some things. Right. So are they still worshippers of uh, of Mistra? One would assume so. But you know, we haven't been there yet. Hmm. Yeah, we have not. Uh, we have not had any major excursions to Halrua yet. We've just kind of teased the name in a couple places. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of the there there being explorers and mm-hmm. or you know people now putting out feelers in the world after they've been returned. Yeah. You yeah. can imagine it's sort of an interesting line to walk. Some of them do feel the urge to go up, but at the same time, you don't want to attract unwanted attention. 
and uh, let anybody know that you're doing well and your land is, you know, <laughs> worth something. Yeah. This place is great. Yeah. By the way, all of our magic items survived the spell plague. Did yours? Oh, oh no. That's so weird. Huh. Well, we got them all locked up, uh, yeah. kind of. Here's the combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we trust you guys. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, uh, would um, if you were going to play a wizard uh, character, uh, maybe w- would would Halrua be a good place to sure to, to use? Yeah. As your... you can be a Halrua, no problem there. Yeah, you know, pretty pretty cool to have a character whose heritage traces back to the earliest days of human magic. Yeah, they they have sort of a I think a, a an unusual expectation of magic. I think in Halrua, like. I've always imagined I, I don't think that's anywhere in the lore, but I've always imagined that like they would have essentially magic air conditioners and you know, stuff like that. Like they would have figured this stuff out now. Yes. And so Nobody has to pick up the garbage in yeah. Colorado. <laughs> they've, they've got that solved. Okay, good. So so you know, they might go to other places and just kind of be like, Well what huh? What is you this know? disgusting <laughs> shit for? <laughs> don't you have brooms, magic brooms that can clean this up? Mental note, never visit Baldur's Gate again <laughs> without my Made right without my yeah. boots. <laughs> uh, is it is it is it similar to Eberron in the, in that kind of a society where like everything feels yeah like in magic in, insofar as Sharn is a highly magical city where there are mage rites and other individuals who are dedicated to creating utility, uh, uh, getting the most utility out of their magic. Mm. I suspect that the Hell Ruins have figured out much the same that magic can have a very pedestrian use uh, just to make lives easier. Yeah. So yeah. that they can actually worry about the important things. Yeah, and if you think about a society where there are people who basically have superpowers, uh, even though they have to work really hard to have the superpowers, they have superpowers. Um, you kind of want to spread that around so that you don't make the other people angry at you because <laughs> right. you have superpowers. But like you know, a hundred arrows coming your way might still kill you. Right. So you know, they yeah. would also have weird laws there. I suspect where you know, if one third of the population can fly. On their own, like without cars. Are there flying speed limits? There's got to be fly- oh, yeah, it's got to be flying speed limits, and then rules for like dropping shit on people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> flight lanes for their yeah, sky flight ships. lanes for their sky ships. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So you're not like driving into the side of somebody's flying tower. Oh yeah, see, I was imagining uh, uh, like kind of Zeppelin like you know stations where they would park mm-hmm. and do stuff. Is they it like that, or is it? Yeah, the, or, okay. Yeah, they have more, yeah the, in stations. fact, Zeppelin's a good thing to bring up because their skyships aren't just um, floating boats in the air. Uh, they are usually held aloft like a dirigible um, oh, with okay. a with a giant airbag in addition to sort of the, yep. the magical things that are helping. That helps. That changes it up, so it's not you don't have to depend on the magic. Yep. If you go through some yes. kind of anti magic thing, you're not. Immediately screwed. So if you want to go to the land of blimps, <laughs> Halru is the place to the be. Beautiful land of blimps. Yeah. Uh, are there any? Uh, this is the final thing before we move because I want. I, I, now I'm thinking about the culture of that. Like, are there specific magic orders uh, around the schools? Like, is that kind of idea there? there is there like a Harry maybe, Potter type, yeah. Hogwarts there type? Maybe. Um, so the the lore points to a couple things. One, uh, Halrua has is has a noted dislike of sorcerers. So oh, so if you have an innate yeah, dr- and draconic just, magic, they're like yeah, get out. Uh, it's sort of like mutants in the X Men. You know, you're not controlled, yeah. right? Um, and so there's that. And then I imagine that they probably would focus more on wizardry itself as opposed to like dividing up into schools. The reason being is that the division of 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 schools and so on tends to create these camps of Thay. thought. And mm. Thay. Thay did that. Halrua didn't make that mistake, I suspect. Um, it's more like 
these schools are different subjects that you learn at university. Right. right. So you don't have to specialize. You got, right. You're just an illusionist. You're just Whereas in Faye, you are part of the sort of illusion cast and you are you stand apart from the diviners and the abjurers and the necromancers. Right. Which is which points to again why the the people who founded Nimrol might have had to have left because you know they were like no no we're we're illusionists this is cool right. <laughs> you we know, don't right. deal with all that other stuff yeah right we're very focused um, are there is there a a large uh, religious population there like is there like the, the Church of Mistra is that big or is it more like just wizards uh, well I certainly imagine that that most of the populace would be focused on worship of Mistra because the Mistra in the sort of pantheistic way of looking at the world of D&D and, and magic and so on, isn't just a goddess of magic. She's also kind of a goddess of stars. She's also kind of a goddess of just the idea of the wonder of the world. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's it's not just wizards and magicians who worship Mistra. Yeah. Um, what about warlocks? Are there any warlock culture there? Or is that um, a big no-no? I don't know. I, I Yeah, I think that they would be given the same dirty looks as sorcerers. Yeah, maybe right. even maybe, maybe more worse. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you you've uh, warlocks are 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 characters they that draw their power from dubious sources. Yeah, they, and what promises have they made? You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. And yeah. what what doom could they visit upon us? And it seems like the 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 uh, concentration on knowledge and learning that knowledge is not really yeah. what warlocks are about. Yeah, right? the warlock, that's, that's, that's a shortcut. You've, you you <laughs> yeah, cheated. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what is an interesting question is what do the sort of the wizardly types and the ma- magic types think of the muggles, basically, the the non-magically inclined? Like, yeah. Do they just look upon them with pity? Are they relegated to some secret status yeah. like, that's lower? I don't know. Because you said a third, so, I mean, that's two-thirds of the population that is right. not yeah. magical. Exactly. Which is still and, and large. And that's why I said, you know, they, they can't get away with just sort of treating them like crap because um, – and, and obviously that's what um, Netheril did, right? And, you know, that didn't yeah. win the that many didn't friends. Work so well. so. Right. Okay, cool. A lot of little plot threads uh, in there to, to tug mm-hmm. on. So I'm hoping we visit it again at some point and then yeah. also uh, uh, the players out there. I think there's point a lot of, of Point stuff. of trivia, the airship that you can encounter in Tomb of Annihilation is called the Star Goddess, ah. alluding to Matt's point about Mistra earlier. And uh, uh, for those of you who watched Stream of Annihilation, you may have seen uh, uh, an episode that took place on the Star Goddess. That's right, yes. That's right, Rudy Rutenberg's uh, yes. uh, session. Yeah, you could play Hell Ruins. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. So yeah, go look in the uh, the archive for that to learn more about uh, uh, how they interpreted how uh, Rua and everything that was going on there. Um, how could the these fine folks get in touch with you guys? Uh, I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. I'm on Twitter as Cernet S E R N E T T at Cernet. Mm-hmm. At Cernet. That makes it very easy to remember. Ma- at Cernet. Ma- at Cernet. Uh, I am uh, at Greg Tito. Uh, feel free to pester me for any... Uh, I keep saying pester, but it's not pestering at all. It's actually quite nice. Uh, for asking me for nor- new lore topics uh, to uh, delve into. Uh, you guys have been great about coming up with great ones. And uh, there's always... Send more. There's always more. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it pulls on our brains and make us think about uh, areas. And we really like that. So please do that uh, to all of us if you want. Uh, thank you again. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can watch us record Laurie Snow as well as Dragon Chalk live on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash DND. We do it Monday starting at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, so tune into that if you can. Thank you very much, guys. And we'll be back with more lore uh, later on.
Did you know all that stuff was going on in Hell Rule? They have like the magical flying ships. They're descended from the Netherese. I did not know all that. I'm 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 just gonna go come out and say I'm very impressed with your time traveling abilities here, dude. I can travel forwards, backwards. Uh, I'm very, you know, seldom in the right time zone of where I am right now. I wasn't aware of this. Not, it's very impressive. Like, you, time zone's difficult. Time travel, very yeah. easy for you. It's Basically, whenever, you know, the Star Trek, they went to a temporal anomaly. <laughs> Inside this room is one large temporal anomaly <laughs> where we go forwards, backwards, up over town. We're basically, you know, we're in three dimensions at once. We don't film in sequence. <laughs> this is true. Mostly for the last one because we always end up messing it up. Uh, <laughs> but... That that was a great segment, uh, learning more about Halrua. Basically, we were using the magic uh, of, of that wonderful nation. Um, and uh, they figure a little bit into the Tomb of Annihilation story, which I think is pretty cool, too. Um, shout out. I, already, I mentioned this in the segment, but Rudy Rudenberg did a great job of, uh, of taking that thread and dramatizing it for the stream of Annihilation. So thank you for that, Rudy. You kick all the butt. Uh, and then speaking of butt kicking, we're going to go right to our uh, interview, we think, with Holly. What do you think about that? All right. Let's, uh, let's go to our interview. Let's call her up. What are we going to talk about? Fun things. Fun things. Many fun things. Fun sizes. Hello. 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 Uh, so we have uh, Holly Conrad here joining us, uh, who plays Strix in Dice Camera Action, amongst so many other things. Uh, how's it going? I'm good. Yeah, I'm just sitting here with my cat. How's your kitty cat doing? Uh, she's good. She, like, barfed under my desk, which is great. So, you know. <laughs> That's usually a good sign, right? Yeah. Typical sign, I guess. That's yeah. what cats mm-hmm. do. Right. Uh, so you have me, Greg, and Bart here, uh, who's filling in for Shelly, and she was very sad. She was like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to talk to Holly. Oh. <laughs> I know. We bonded over... Uh, Yes. Uh, we might have audio just kind of shifted a little bit. Hold on a second. It might just be my computer being weird. It might be. It's getting better now that you're talking more. Okay. It might It might just be loading? I don't know. <laughs> it could have been one of those things where, like, a, there was a, a pop. I heard a pop, and then oh, the here. levels went really far down because maybe it was trying to, like, normalize. Yeah, is it better now? It is better now. Okay. That is fixed. <laughs> I'm going to say Ryan fixed it. Ryan totally fixed it. <laughs> Good job, Ryan. Yay. Well done. Uh, so what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, my cat threw up. Yeah. Yeah, we left it on that high note. <laughs> we, we left it on uh, cat vomit and how awesome yeah. it is to clean up and all those things. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, one thing we always like, oh, we were talking about, you were talking with Shelly and you were playing Betrayal of Baldur's Gate and you guys yes. bonded over that. Yes, yes. I, I enjoyed that thoroughly because every time there'd be like a little reference in there to some Baldur's Gate lore, I would get very, very excited. Awesome. Did you, did you was that at Origins that you played with her or was that during the stream of Annihilation? It was at Origins, yeah. Nice. You went there as the Batiri Goblins uh, with did, you, and, yes. you and Danny Hartel. Who was the uh, traitor in that game, or was it a more collaborative scenario, Haunt? Oh, no, it was uh, Rudy ended up being the traitor. It was the minute he was the Minotaur at the end. We had to do a Minotaur uh, thing, and I think we ended up beating him, actually. So I did that we one. Did pretty good. The maze, the Minotaur one where he has to create a maze? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I did that, and I was the Minotaur. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it like was the, super fun. I've playtested it only a couple of times, and that scenario seems to come up a lot. <laughs> I wonder if Shelly does that on purpose to be like, here's a good one. <laughs> you got to play through this one. It's really, it's really good. <laughs> She's like a pusher. <laughs> so 
So how was Origins? What was it like bringing your uh, uh, Batiri Goblin costume on the road there? Uh, yeah, it was very fun. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it's interesting because uh, I like, you know, I, I love cosplaying, but it's like, it's weird cosplaying then also doing like all the other stuff that I do because people would be like, hey, can I... Like, oh, you're Holly. And I'm like, yeah, I'm also in a crazy goblin outfit. And they're like, can you sign my book? Like, I mean, I can try. I have claws on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, but it was really fun. Everyone enjoyed it. And I, I loved uh, being goblins with Danny. Danny's so talented and sweet. She's a wonderful human being. So it she was, really it was is. really great. Yeah. I've always loved, yeah, I've, I love that costume. I, I, I guess I never knew the story. What made you decide to create the Batiri Goblin? Was that, did you see an art reference or, or how did you come about uh, that, picking that particular? I think Trevor told her to do it. Which is an answer. We did get early concepts and um, being the like neurotic, like fan that I am I was like I want to design it I want to make my own so I just went and looked at the concepts and just uh came up with my own character and Danny did the same thing we both designed our own characters for it which was super fun so it's pretty cool it is it looks really it was really fun checking in with you guys like a couple of weeks leading up to the stream annihilation and being like whoa look at what they've made so far <laughs> it's real yeah it was it was always it's always fun bringing something to life like that that's why I love cosplay and actually my first cosplay Ever was a D and D tiefling, so it's kind of full circle for me, honestly. <laughs> wow! So right, you had this whole. I mean, I'm not going to say other life because it's your current life now, but like, you know, you were known in 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 uh, as a cosplayer for for how long? When did that start? When was that first character? Oh man, uh, I mean, I've been wearing costumes ever since I was a little kid. I just loved putting costumes together. They were super super fun. Yeah. But um, I started really cosplaying when I first um, started playing uh, Baldur's Gate because <laughs> I was in high school I loved Baldur's Gate and I loved Neverwinter Nights and I, I felt actually that's how I, I got into D&D was by playing Baldur's Gate I actually went the reverse is that I played the PC games before I started playing um, tabletop games that makes so sense I, yeah which is weird because I loved PC games because I had played like King's Quest and uh, mm. Return to Crondor and all these games when I was like, oh 11. I remember that Betrayal yeah. at Crondor right the old yeah, Westwood yeah. Studios yeah yeah, and I played all those when I was like 11 years old. <laughs> I was like, these are amazing. So that's how I got into role-playing games. But, yeah, um, I think that was a lot of us for kids in our generation. I mean, it was harder to form a group unless you had like a built-in, like a lot of the people we talked to, like when you started D&D, it's always like an older brother or, you know, something like that. And so if you don't have that, yeah. you know, the, the video games are your older brother in a way. Exactly, yeah. I was an only child and like, like when and had a hard time, like my family was messed up growing up. So those were my escape was like yeah. learning the lore for Baldur's Gate was the thing that I did all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> where's I was talking about cosplay? I got off track. Um, no worries, no worries. <laughs> it was like it was, I was too excited. Um, but yeah, my, so my first costume uh, was a tiefling. It was kind of like a female version of this one of the characters from Neverwinter Nights. I don't know. I just wanted to be like a tiefling that would kind of look like this other tiefling. So I just made my own costume and I was in the SCA at the time. So I mm. like designed a leather armor and made leather armor and all this crazy stuff. And I remember someone at the, uh, the Renaissance fair I wore it to was like, you look like my kids anime. And I was like, wow, really cool. <laughs> I just kept making stuff. My kids so, anime. Yeah. Right. So that was fun. I think I have a, I'm going to link a picture. I have a picture of my, of me as the tiefling and uh, me as Strix side by side. So it's like a 10 year difference in cosplay. I'm going to link it in chat. Oh, 
That is super cool to see like the progression of like, these are my tieflings over the years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a theme with all my characters. Right. Here's my, my, my family portrait of, of all of my, uh, right, my tiefling right. characters. I, I'm sorry. Did you mention that? What drew you to the tiefling in particular? Was it just the character or was it the look and feel of that character or, or what was that? I, I've always, I, so I, I've always really, really liked um, the Planescape lore, and my first mm-hmm. introduction to that was um, the Planar Sphere in Baldur's Gate too, <laughs> which I love that. I love that quest, and I ended up playing um, uh, Planescape Torment, which I absolutely loved. And once I fell in love with that setting, I ended up getting all the books and getting like all of the Dieter Lizzie art books, who mm-hmm. just like was my biggest inspiration as an artist. I just love his art so much. And so I kind of fell in love with with his art and like the representation of the tieflings in those books. And uh, that's kind of just like I always love the idea of those characters having to struggle with, you know, having it's like having a really bad past and then having to struggle to overcome that or like having a family that's not so great and having to pretty much overcome that and become a better person despite those hardships. Mm. That's why I like it. (laughs) In a nutshell. Yeah. No, he he was one of the art. He had a very distinct look, and, and it was so synonymous with Planescape at the time. I, I do remember that was one of the one of the things that set it apart when it was first coming out. So, uh, yeah, I I love I, and it's funny because I got all of those books when I was in college, so I had to get them all secondhand off eBay. And I remember just like saving up for like a month and being like, okay, I can get this book this month. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I just, I just got one that I was missing that I might be running my, um, I have a, a game that I don't like stream or anything. It's just my game that I DM. That's a Planescape game. And I just got the, um, the, what is it, like the endless staircase or whatever it's called. It's a Monty Cook one. And I'm excited because I was missing that book. So. Your I complexion still, is complete. I know. Not yet. I'm still missing some. It's still like I'm still slowly getting the rest of them because they're hard to find now. Yeah. Out of print. It's very difficult. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like that. It, that makes it almost sweeter when you get one, right? Because you're like, oh, for Sweet. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And like if there's like a piece of artwork I haven't seen in it, I, I've seen like a Detrilizzi piece I haven't seen yet that haven't like hasn't even been published. And I get really, really excited. I actually I met him at Gen Con the first time I went and it was like the most exciting thing for me to actually get to meet him. And like, I have a lady of pain tattoo. And so I like geekily was like, I have a tattoo of the art. This is just <laughs> kind of yours. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm a freak. Okay. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you get this all the time. Was, this is like a normal Gen Con for you. I'm sure. Yeah. He was so nice though. And he was super sweet. And I, I one of my prized possessions that I got from him at, um, at Gen Con was a, an original from, I believe it's the Factals Manifesto, and it's the picture of the mortuary, the Dustmen mortuary. Yeah. And it's the original of it, so I have it framed in my house, and I'm just like, oh. oh if wow. there was a fire, like, I would just grab my animals and that and that piece of artwork and just run. <laughs> like, that would be it. Ross, we, like, we'll leave my husband. He'll, he'll be fine. Just grab that piece of artwork yeah, right. with my cats and I'm out. <laughs> We had just heard uh, uh, from some of the, uh, the the people who you know used to work in the TSR days that the artists back in the day uh, in the in the 80s you know didn't realize how valuable their their art their originals would be you know and but they would also go to a lot of ren fairs and so they would like barter with the people at the ren fairs be like all right I'll give you this you know original painting I did for D and D I already got paid for it you can just have oh this for like you know a saddle. <laughs> I wish I wish when I like was working at like haunted houses and ren fairs because I did that for a while. I wish that I was like up there because I would have 
totally tried to barter with people for tea. <laughs> like, please. I know. I would have been a child, but it would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been adorable. It would have been perfect. <laughs> Uh, so when you were, you know, when we were thinking about, uh, st- or well, we it was Greg Bilson really who who put the uh, uh, the impetus behind creating Dice Camera Action, um, you know, and and how did how did you get involved? Like, how did he approach you? And were you like yes immediately, or were you like um uh, maybe? Maybe no, definitely wasn't maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually it was Jared um, that got me involved because Jared oh, nice. Jared um, was friends with my husband and I, and, uh, he knew that I love D and D. And so he approached me and I was just like, um, yes, please. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was how I got involved. And yeah, I wasn't even, I wasn't even going to hesitate. Like I was, I was super excited because, uh, I had just been in an Eberron game that had just fallen apart. And so I was actually, I didn't have a game at the time. So it was, mm. it was perfect for me. Good timing. Yeah. Did you always want to play a tiefling or is this, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a dream come true. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've always played a tiefling, like ever since college when I actually started. Well, I, I take that back in high school. I did have, we did have a D and D club in high school, but our high school was very, very interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at one point our principal called us into the office to ask if we'd be using real blood. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh. I don't think you understand what this game is about, sir. Oh man. <laughs> So that was that was uh, my town's relationship with D and D, but um, and to which you responded yes, right? You were like yes, yeah, well, and it, yeah. it needs to be your blood, sir. Uh, yeah, could have been worse. You could have said no, and he walked away disappointed. Oh. You know, it's like oh man, <laughs> <laughs> and he opens exactly. up the supply closet, and there's like rows and rows of pig's blood that he's been saving up. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. No, that would be Strix. That's what she would have done. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, our D and D, yeah. So in college, I played I played D and uh, more uh, games of like actual, you know, D and D groups, and I always played a tiefling sorcerer just because in Baldur's Gate, I always played a sorcerer, and in and I love tieflings, so I was always a tiefling sorcerer. But it was funny because I think it was um, oh, was it third three point five? At one point, tieflings got a minus two to charisma, and every time I would play a game with someone, they'd be like. Well, but you, you know, you cast with charisma, and tieflings get minus two. And I was like, I don't care. That's what I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play against that. I don't give a crap. Just give me a yeah, exactly. magic item that gives me a plus two charisma, and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just like, I don't care. I'm not here to min max. I just want to have fun and be weird. Yeah, I never understood why why tieflings got that negative. Was it because they thought that the horns would be ugly or something? I don't know. I mean, it's plus two now, so I'm like, uh, all right. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I would I would make a guess that maybe because they were so outside the norm, there was a discriminatory factor against them. Yeah. And so their perception and, right. you know, the rest of society would have been, you know, a slightly lower charisma, but... Right, but then I always think of them as being, you know, even though they have this dark power, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you probably know more about this than the two of us put together, but, like, that, that you know, that, that gave them some uh, uh, innate, you know, force of personality, you know, which, mm-hmm. would, which would give them a plus to charisma, in my mind. Yeah, I, I think the plus makes a lot more sense. Um, I think back then, too, that Drow also got a minus to charisma because of their reputation. So yeah. it was, like, it could just be a reputation thing. Like, I mean, I'm guessing that... At, Really, statistically, most tieflings are probably probably pretty questionable people. So <laughs> I don't know. So is that part of why you liked uh, their their background and their storyline was was playing against that trope, or did you did you like embracing that like okay no they they have a, a deal with the devil kind of thing? 
no, I liked, I did like playing against it. Um, it was definitely just the idea that it was just, you know, your, your family doesn't define you and your family, mm. you know, are, are your friends, which I think is something that really, really defines Strix as a character as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, uh, uh, her relationship with, uh, her, her party member is like her surrogate family? Oh yeah. But she would never admit it. I mean, she, she's, tr- she actually did admit it loudly to her like scary, awful brother in the last episode, which I think was a big moment for her because she doesn't, you know, she's been introduced. She never had any family. She was an orphan and she's been introduced to all of this family that like is her actual blood family. And they've all just been the absolute worst. And so she's kind of realizing that even though she's very scared of everything all the time, that she's starting to feel more comfortable with these people that she's just met and that they're starting to become her family. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that admission in the last game. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder yeah, right. Like you're building these bonds and becoming like a, a much more of a, a, a unit. Right. Exactly. But yeah. it took her. I mean, it takes her a while because she's just seen like so many terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Kika in the chat says tieflings smelled of sulfur and brimstone, uh, which I guess that would maybe give them a penalty to charisma. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I guess well, that makes the, in, sense. In the old tables, there was a, you rolled randomly to get different traits. So they didn't just have horns. They had other, all kinds of traits. Like they could have been mm. really pale or like smell bad. And, and Strix has a lot of the traits from that table. So like her smelling bad is actually from that, from that table. And as, as well as like her horns and tail, like it's all very from the second edition Planescape books. So that's why, that's why it has that. So which it could technically be minus to charisma, but I don't think charisma necessarily has to be like, oh, you're the most beautiful person ever. I think you can just do a, like have to deal with your natural magnetism as a person. Yeah. We could do a whole dragon talk on the history of the charisma <laughs> ability right. score. I, I mean, when we when I first started playing, it was it was the dump stat. Unless you were a paladin and you had to have it by mandate, you didn't care about it. But right. it's evolved into, to, yeah, your force of personality as well as so many other things. But Yeah, that's what I always thought. Right, not just straight attractiveness. Yeah, yeah. Which is I'm always like, a weird... I'm, I'm the prettiest person at the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an 18 charisma. Look at me. Yeah, yeah. Check me out. <laughs> um, so when you were, like, kind of designing your character to play Dice Camera Action, what was that kind of, like, a year and three months ago or something like that. Yeah. Did you visually create her in your head or did you uh, do that only later? Um, I, well, I, I spent a lot of time again looking at the, the art in the Planescape books at the Dietra Lizzie art because I really wanted her to be that kind of, you know, a lot of the tieflings in there are very a specific like look and design. And um, actually, I think the art that's still being used for her in our stream is the... Um, the picture that inspired her look pretty much. Mm. So that was the picture that inspired her. And then I did like a little sketch of her that I just kind of like decided that she was going to be more ragged with like the little horns and stuff like that. So I kind of, and I've already like all my characters have always been kind of like that. They've always been kind of weird and, you know, like, I guess like coming from like some gross background or they have like a gross outfit and they do weird things. Like I always like, they're not necessarily anti-heroes, but they're just people that you wouldn't expect to be a hero. Mm. Did you, uh, were you like a Jim Henson fan growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I love, I love the Dark Crystal and I love mm. Brian Froud. I love, I love all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, good, because that made a lot of sense. <laughs> I was like, I, I could tell from, from Holly's creations that, uh, you know, she had Labyrinth on repeat for a while. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that more of the Dark Crystal because David Bowie weirded me out as a kid. But <laughs> He's weird. Yeah. He scared me. I was like, I just want him to be a goblin. Can he be a real goblin? I just kind of want that. I know. And then, the, and then he does that, that weird, like, sing-songy part of it, which <laughs> totally freaked me out because I was like, you know, you associated those happy, like, major chords with, like, Sesame Street and, like, that level of, of, of puppetry, right? And then all of a sudden right. it was like, okay, he's this dark, evil character, but he's got this fun song, and then now he's right. a dark, and evil. And he's, he's, like, thrusting at you, and I'm like, I can't do this. I just want the skepsis back. <laughs> uh, it's a hard pass. It's a hard pass. Yeah, yeah hard pass. <laughs> I, was, I just wanted the skepsis back. It was fine. Man, David Bowie's ranking below the skepsis? I know. Well, for, for me, I, like. I have people, I understand why David Bowie is an amazing icon and, and revered in all of this, but, but young Holly related to the Skeksis. You can, you know, think about how messed up young Holly was as much as you want. <laughs> that is who, that is who I wanted to hang out with. Oh man. Not even the, uh, the good, the, not the, where did they come? The Skepsis were like a version of the other ones, right? Yeah. They kind of came together. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the gal- the Gelflings looked like Thunderbirds to me and I didn't like that. So. Right. I agree. That did. <laughs> That, like, waving of hands, like, oh, God, the Thunderbirds. Um, (laughs) What do you think about the new – they're going to do a new one, right? They are, yeah, which I'm really excited about. I'm, like, so happy that – it's funny because it would have been, like, a long time ago when I started working in special effects. I think it would have been, like, my dream to, like, work on something like a new Dark Crystal or something like that. But I'm just, like, so happy to just, like, watch it as a fan and just not have to stress out about anything like that. I'm like, hooray, I can just watch this and enjoy it. (sighs) I could be a straight-up consumer. <laughs> yeah, I just not gonna care. I'm just gonna enjoy and just have a good time. So I'm I'm stoked to just watch that and just bring have have it bring me back to my childhood. One of one of the other fantasy movies, I, I suppose, around the time that Error Call in uh, chat had brought up was Legend with Tom Cruise. If yeah. That was oh my god! Influence. Yes. That, yeah, I I love that movie. Yeah, same here. It had and it had such a very dark look and feel for. Uh, you know, a fantasy movie, a younger, you know, young audience fantasy movie, but yeah, very, very good. Uh, that's that's look. the one with the the demon with the giant horns, right? Like the Tim big Curry. Horn. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and in chat they're saying Willow too was also a great one, a great movie from back Absolutely. then. Absolutely, it was also awesome. Mad Mardigan was uh, was was formative for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a good yeah. one. Um, yeah, there was the, a big wealth of that in the 80s. And people always say, like, oh, the birth of fantasy came after the Lord of the Rings came out. And there was, like, everyone's really into it since then. I guess that's where maybe it hit the the big time. But, you know, those those 80s movies were lodged in our brains for a long time and inspired, oh, yeah. inspired a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and they were, they were just so, I don't know, they were just so cool and imaginative and interesting. And, you know, they were... They weren't afraid to put out interesting new stories and things like that. So it was always, you know, we just need more of that these days. <laughs> and, they, and they had to do more with less, too. So, like, I mean, they were making this stuff. So it's interesting that you went into creating yeah. these kind of costumes and, the and you know, using latex and things like that because it's like that's what the only tools they had available to them. And it, it had a, a different, more grounded feel because of that. Yeah, it, de- it definitely did. Yeah. No, yeah, no, it's a, a good point. It was all practical effects and legend if you wanted to be a goblin. Or Tim Curry, had you're going to sit in a makeup chair for a long, long right. time to become uh, <laughs> right. 
to become that demon. And now we do that every time before we play Dungeons & Dragons. Every <laughs> session. <laughs> Putting on latex, making sure you feel like you're uh, uh, you know, demonic or monstrous in, in, in the right ways. Chris Perkins has to put on a different mask every single time he <laughs> does a different, <laughs> different NPC. <laughs> uh, God, you guys could actually pull that off uh, if you were doing it on Dice Camera Action at some point. <laughs> oh, if we all dressed up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We still need to make Nate's costume, though. Like, it's, we, we, have to, we have to get that done for him. I think he needs it. Yeah, I think, yeah, and then, it's just like a shirt and some pants and like a wig. It's not like he needs anything that complicated. Right, because so. he's just a bard. It's not like he's right. It's not like he's an elf or you know has some yeah. kind of weird features yeah. that you need Every, to recreate. Exactly. I'm. It's so funny because like when I first started Dice Cam Reaction, I was like, oh no, this is a whole party of humans, and then there's this trash tiefling. Like, <laughs> it's like, so it's like all these humans, and the, well, I mean, now technically Evelyn's, Evelyn's like a Warforged, so now it's a little bit better, but mm. it just always made me laugh that like I was the only one who was like, yeah, I'm a tiefling, and everyone's a human. <laughs> and they all have high charismas. <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Son of a jerk. Um, so yeah, so what, let's talk more about, uh, about Strix and how, uh, you know, she's evolved over time. I mean, like, so you, we, you got involved, uh, and we, we asked Jared when he, when we had him on, like, when did you feel like super attached to the character? Like, was it, was it, you know, episode one? Like, did you feel like into it immediately or was there some moment that happened that really kind of solidified this for you guys and for your character especially? Yeah, and I think for me, honestly, it was I kind of immediately fell in love with Ravenloft, and I had never played in Ravenloft before. I'd only done Planescape and Forgotten Realms, and I'm I'm a big fan of the Forgotten Realms and the books and things like that. So I knew a lot about Faerun, but I didn't know anything about Ravenloft. And so mm-hmm. when we were introduced to this world, just so quickly and immediately, and it was so like fish out of water for me because I was like, oh, I know a lot about D and D, like. It, it, I know a lot of lore, so I can't really be surprised, but like I was absolutely surprised like through the whole campaign. So I kind of just like I learned this appreciation of law and love of Ravenloft so early on and you know, all of my party members were so amazing and wonderful and we all just like played on each other so well. Like I remember the first I think one of the first times I really like got just like pulled in was super early on when um Jared, who plays Dieth, saw himself hanging in the mm. forest and it was just like it was this hallucination i guess because of the like you know the dark powers and just make you see creepy creepy stuff in ravenloft and um yeah it was just like this random moment and chris just made it so real and so impactful that like after that i was like oh this is gonna be good <laughs> this is gonna be terrifying every time we play <laughs> and it was and it's been amazing and it's you know it's it's really really you know just made me so much more of a creative person, I think, being a part of this and, and having such an amazing group of people I get to play with. That is cool. And, and I imagine it, it obviously helps the Dungeon Master. Uh, if you are invested in your character, if you have a story for your character, that just gives him uh, or whoever your Dungeon Master is more tools to work with so that they can embed those type of moments in the game and, mm-hmm. and have an impact as opposed to, oh, you see something scary and uh, you know, like, uh, you're not too uh, concerned about what it actually is. But Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, well, and Perkins has such a good like way to to get across stuff in a short amount of time that feels really evocative. So it sounds like that's what was occurring with the uh, 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 the hallucination of of, of Dieth hanging. 
you know. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I remember we also got, um, I think it was uh, Greg Billison that sent us the uh, Madame Eva cards, the Taroka Mm. cards. So we all got random Taroka cards and like, oh, it it came in like a little thing and there was like a wax seal on it. And I like love, you remember, I made the puppet, the little puppet that we found, the Mr. Shambleface, because I love like, (laughs) I love little props. Like, I just love little props and things that I can bring into my, even on my home games, like I'll print out menus and like weird little things i just love like things that make them real and uh have that card and then like you know have physical things in the game that i was like i have to make this like all of that was just so much fun that is cool and it's such an evocative setting to to do some of that stuff i mean we've been working on having tables that you roll for each adventure about like little trinkets that you have with Mm -hmm. you and how like those physical physical objects can like tie you into lore um and uh ravenloft especially yeah, and I uh, I love the Blinsky toys too. Mm. Like just the idea of creepy toys was just so amazing. I was like, yes, this is perfect. I love this. An- another movie uh, genre from the eighties. It felt like was evil yeah. toys that came yes. to life and tried to to kill you. Oh my god, that's I'm still creeped out by that to this day. <laughs> it is. It is super creepy. Like it's like the like a. Uh, uh, Piddlewick, our murder bot, was just genuinely terrifying. I mean, we still kept him around. He killed a kid. We were just like, this is fine. I'm like, oh my god, we're the worst. We're the worst heroes ever. <laughs> this is terrible. It's like, let me just bring Chucky along. He's he's, yeah. he's a good guy. I should keep our him in the case until cool you need him. This just because she has a crush on the bard. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, but that's kind of the beauty of our game, I think. Yeah. So have you played a lot of uh, online games uh, before Dice Camera Action? Uh, no, I've never played a, uh, an on a Skype game or, a, uh, I guess, an online like, uh, D&D game like this before. So it's very different for me. What, uh, what, what do you think? Is it, yeah, talk about those differences a little bit. Like, do, do you like it or do you like uh, uh, playing in person? Like, what, what happens? Um, I, I actually love the, the Skype game, and that's also because... I feel like it's like reading a novel for me. Mm. Like I actually, I get kind of like sucked into things when I start making maps and start making notes for my games and stuff. And I start like getting a little too neurotic about all of that. And I'm just like, ah, I need this map and this map. And I like freak out. <laughs> but like in this, it's like, I, I just kind of sit here and listen to my friends, you know, and, and our DM and I like just listen to them kind of like weave their own story. And it's like, it's like listening to an audiobook in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, you kind of you kind of have to be really descriptive and a little bit more like um, I guess like a no- novel like and like in your in your descriptions because really that the only way for the audience to picture what's going on is either voices or descriptions. So that's I kind of really enjoy that because I'm very like I love imagining things and I love I love doing all that. So yeah, yeah. I uh, I honestly haven't played a lot of online games, so I, I, I'm curious, you know, to to whether my brain would adapt to that kind of thing. Cause I'd like the face to face. I think there's a lot, you know, that you gain from being descriptive with your hands and things like that, you know, in ways yeah. that you can't necessarily do all the time, uh, in front of a webcam. So, you know, I haven't had that, that moment where I'm like, Oh, these are the group of four people I'm talking to on camera that, 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 you know, makes it feel like, Oh, there's, there's advantages to that one, that side too. Yeah, absolutely. I do miss the snacks too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, you like usually the last time, one of the times we pay, played, I made like a dragon cake and like cupcakes and like you know all like be drinking and it's all super fun. But it's like 
you can't really do that when you're doing an online game because you also have to be, you know, present also for the audience. So you have to always be like, you know, making sure that your face matches what your character's doing so that you can like emote that experience to them. <laughs> so, mm. so and it's it not as easy, bit. not as easy to do when you're munching on, on, you know, <laughs> chips and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're just stuffing chips in your face, I can't, and like just like crunching it in the mic, like I can't really. <laughs> hey, your character has to eat too. You never know what they're actually doing. I'm role playing eating. Right. I, <laughs> Strix yeah, is exactly. eating right now. <laughs> Strix has definitely done that. And I have had like snacks at the side of the table, and I'm like, this is fine. She's just doing this too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you guys, I mean, so you've developed this kind of language with each other where the motions or your reactions to things like inform each other's performances so much more than it would be if it was in person, I think. Oh yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's, it's also since we've been doing it now for a year, we've all really, it's like, even with Chris, it's like, I can tell when I'm about to do something and Chris just kind of gives me this look like, don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> or like usually then I'll see him get like really excited when I'm going to do something dumb that's probably going to be funny but also terrible so it's like or like when, like almost always like and I feel like Anna and I have like this repertoire of like when she just starts going off on Lathander it's like I know she's looking at me like mm. I just know that she's like looking through the computer at me to like wait to see what Strix says so yeah, that like the whole like comic timing of things like works out perfectly because she's like, all right, here's the time for you to interject your Strix's comment about Butthander and all that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from like playing together for so long too. Like you know, right? It's been like a year and a couple of months. So you know, you've you've ironed out all of the the weird idiosyncrasies of like online communication really well. Yeah, I think I think that's and that's again just an attest to everyone just being so willing to work together and also like, you know, we've all played D and D games where like it's a really difficult group and someone's always just like trying to step on other people's toes mm. and do all that and like we have none of that. It's like it's we all want we want all of us to succeed and all of us to have our spotlight and it's like even when when like I get so excited when all the other characters get their character moments because I'm invested with everyone. And I think that's like I think that's one of the hardest things to get a good group going is that you want everyone to be invested in their party. That's like the true D and D experience is when you get that camaraderie going. Mm. Yeah, and then it becomes not just like a, oh I'm playing a game; it's I'm experiencing some kind of like you know a group narrative experience that you can't get through anything else. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I always think about, I think I might have even just had this on a, on a previous episode of the podcast, but it feels like, like concerts, like music concerts are the only other time I think where there's th this large group of people, and obviously it's much bigger with concerts than it is with D&D games, but like where everybody is on the same, you know, throbbing wavelength of like, you know, being involved in, 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 a, in a group performance, right? And I, and D&D, &D, obviously it's way different, but like has that same kind of feeling where like, I don't know, I'm being creepy about it and talking about it. There's like, there's like a, this, this weave of, of, of narrative that is in front of the camera and in front of the, the, the everybody's you know, face that all becomes like this, this moment that everybody's sharing together. And it's still mind-boggling to me that people can have those moments while not even being in the same physical place together. Right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you guys, I mean, the, the, the 
storyline that has gone through many, so many permutations and, and twists and turns, but is is always going back to those those fun dramatic moments of between the characters that that you got. I can see you the uh, as like the audience is paying is 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 loving everything that's happening and then also reacting to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and thinking about it too, it's like. I mean, you all kind of have to be storytellers in that sense. And it's like, Chris is like, the like we call him like an ascended being storyteller. He's just like so good that we just don't understand how it's possible. Right. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like, and it's like, and they all just, you know, they're all so humble. But every, everyone I play with in Dice Cam Reaction, I think is just an amazing storyteller too. It's like, I know Anna's a writer. I know that, you know, Nate's a musician. Jared's also a writer and does all of his, you know, his performing on his YouTube channel. And they're just like really creative people who yeah. I think in that sense, like we've just kind of created this, all this like cinematic universe, like in the mind of us playing this game. And it's, and I just think it's, it's like, it's special because everyone is just so creative and so, and so passionate about storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I want, I want more people to experience this. I want more people to be like paying attention. So like if someone is listening to this now who doesn't, uh, watch on a weekly basis or, you know, maybe watched a couple of months ago and like, you know, has, like what, what would you say to that person about why you should be watching, you know, all D&D online, but like D- Dice Camera Action in, in particular? Yeah, I think, I think all, I mean, all D&D online, like any time when people are interacting as human beings in a storytelling setting <laughs> is a great way to, you know, be inspired as a creative person to see, mm. to see how they react. And it's also, I think everyone's game has a different, has a different dynamic because everyone is a that's different sure. adventuring, adventuring party. So uh, that's kind of watching, you know, other shows also will get you an idea of how everyone is so different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ours in particular, it's like, I, I feel like with ours, it's just, I don't know. I can't really say why people should watch it other than it's my favorite and I love it and my party is great and they're awesome. <laughs> but and there's because it's just like and Chris is amazing and like if you want to get to be a better DM, like d- watch Chris like 100%. I have gotten so much better at my DMing from being in Chris's game and like I feel like I've also become a better player from being with with the amazing, you know, good party that I have and mm. it's just like that's that's one of the main reasons why I'd say watch our show. I mean, also watch for being traumatized, but you know, watch also <laughs> to to learn learn about you know how how a good like an amazing D and D session can run and how to leave your players wanting more every single episode and then not being able to sleep. <laughs> what do you think about uh, uh, what's been happening recently over the last few episodes? Like, you know, it seems like everything has gotten like, you know to a head almost Mm. as far as the dramatic tension. I don't know. I feel like that's every week. Like I feel like every week there's something like that. I'm just like, Oh no, this is it. This is when something terrible happens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when DF was hung, I was like, well, that's it. And then like we were in the Amber temple. I was like, well, this is it. (laughs) We were, we were or the things with Van Richten. I was like, oh, here we go. Paulton's gonna kill him. This is it. Then Strahd and I was every day. I, I, literally, the the giants. Like, I thought we were for sure dead after the whole giants. And I was like, this is nope. We're dead. And then here we are. So I mean, <laughs> I think uh, I mean time travel. If if that is what is happening in this new episode, that is definitely a a new experience. But um, I mean, Strix will be just as scared no matter what's happening. So it's really <laughs> it's no difference for her. <laughs> Yeah, so where do you think uh, 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 Strix will go in the future, I say, even though it might be the past? 
am I right? Um, I mean, I, I, I think the best thing about, about our game, too, is that we really do try to develop our characters over time. And I think Strix is slowly less getting focused on survival and getting more focused on discovering like how she can really make the world a better place, which is her ultimate goal. She, you know, having grown up in the hive and Sigil and having lived a really hard life, she wants to she part of one of her traits is that she wants to kill monsters to make the world a safer and better place for other people like her and like right. her friends. So I think um, as she becomes, you know, higher level and she becomes more confident in her magic and more confident in herself and more confident in that her friends aren't going to leave, then she'll start, you know, she's just kind of coming into her own. And I'm sure there'll be setbacks. I'm sure there'll be things that happen like that. But that's like, that's where I'd like to see her go. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's that's the best thing about our game is because we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, also, I know. I was telling, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, oh, ahead. no, you're fine. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I'm just going to say that's what Jared mentioned too is like, it feels like there's like these, these dramatic moments that have all been like, you know, uh, uh, you, would, you would need to have a scripted show for it to come off this, this amazingly. And you guys are doing it on a like, you know, week by week basis off the, off the top of your heads. And, you know, Chris Perkins plans a little bit, but he doesn't necessarily know exactly what's going to happen. So it's, it's amazing that there's, there's, you've had all of these, you know, perfectly uh, uh, happened dramatic moments at the end of each episode uh, in this format has been just really impressive to me. Yeah, even the dice rolls. I mean, when when Nate rolled a natural 20 to save Evelyn from the Soulmonger, like, that was, we could not believe that. That was insane. So just, like, things like that are just so amazing. So it's just, like, it's the chance of rolling a dice on top of the amazing storytelling of the whole group. So Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Sam, what do you think is going to happen with, uh, with Strix and her family? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I do know. I know a few other things, but it's uh, it's gonna, it's probably gonna come up in the future, hopefully. Oh, have <laughs> hopefully you been working not. on like hopefully some backstory? Not. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I, it's just her, her brother is just the worst, and I really hope that he is not in this future past that we're in or something. I, it's just like that was that's funny because I I didn't give. I didn't give Chris any background for her family at all. I was just like, she's an orphan. Like you can do whatever you want. So I was expecting him to come up with something really interesting. I never imagined he would have worked it into the plot of um, Curse of Strahd. And that was, that was so cool to me that she actually had like a tie into Isaac and, um, and that whole family there, which made it just so creepy and sinister. Yeah. So let's hope that she doesn't have any more family. Uh, Cause, <laughs> but I'm sure she does. <laughs> Maybe it'll be like uh, the, um, Dark magics. Where they? Oh, there's another sister. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yes. Uh, oh god, and we can't talk about that yet, can we? We will no. soon. We will soon. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, those of you who are paying very good attention might be able to figure something out, but it will be uh, not my fault. It's Bart's fault. <laughs> 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 Firm but fair. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> it's I don't either. It does make it makes no sense whatsoever. I do anyone. like yeah. I do like the motto for the group though. Is just kill monsters, make the world a better place. I feel like that would be a good good T shirt for yeah for groups out there. So and we want to come up with more uh, uh, waffle crew merchandise. Oh my god, yes, that would be amazing. Yeah, you made those awesome pins. I still have uh, mines on top of my refrigerator at home. Yes, there's just like. It's. I think it's just like little things like that, especially since it's a one. <laughs> uh, I know that's that's why I loved it because I was like, you guys roll so bad. 
<laughs> we really do. And but we still manage to make it dramatic. So it's just at that one time that we all rolled, we all rolled um every single one of us rolled a one for initiative. Every single one. And including Barmy the Lich, who was our NPC, we all rolled ones in initiative. And I'm like, that is a statistic that will never happen again. Like that's <laughs> yeah. I find that's, I mean, it, it's generally true, right? Like the highs and lows are just more interesting. And your character, the ability scores that are high, it's okay to have a low score because it makes a more interesting character. Uh, I'd rather roll 20s and 1s as opposed to just, you know, 11s and 12s the, right. the whole right. session. I always, yeah, I always get like confused and scared when I roll like an 11 or 12 because I don't know what's going to, it's like, uh, is it bad or, I don't know. Right, it's right on the board, like a nine. Yeah. Mm, okay. And you're like, yeah. uh-oh, am I in trouble or am I just going to like ooze into trouble instead of just be in a lot of trouble? <laughs> ooze into trouble, I like that. That's like a, a, a catchphrase I think you should use more often. Yeah, that's like between a 9 and 11 is just the ooze of trouble area. Yeah. You don't know. It's also difficult for the dungeon master. There's not a lot of narrative. Uh, you know, It's not black and white narratively. For, oh, okay, this clearly is something that happens, yeah. and everyone knows it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people who play with it, like a D&D variant or something like that, where it's it's just you roll a D20, but it's just like high-low. It doesn't matter. It's just two-faced. You're going to flip that coin. Yeah, exactly. You're going to make it or not. I do that in my life sometimes where <laughs> we're trying to figure something out, and I'm like, all right, let's do it. It, uh, roll high, we'll do this, and roll B, we'll we'll uh, uh, adopt the kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh oh. <laughs> we rolled high, guys. So don't worry about it. There's no more Tito's coming. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, all right, I think we're we're pretty much at time here. I want to I want to delve into more about like Strix and get like more of a backstory for everybody. But we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Uh, to, yeah, any, anytime. I, I enjoy talking about this stuff. So, and and of course, really and and of course, I'll watch watch it unfold during uh, dice camera action as well. So that's right. What time is that, Bart? That is Tuesdays at four p.m. Pacific. Nice. Uh, I I feel like all of our times we announce are always in Pacific, just because we're here in. in I know, but with the international audience on the on the. Uh, the, the, the Twitches and the internet in general. It's good to say things in plural because people understand that better. Right. <laughs> it is nice for me because then I don't have to do any math, which I'm real bad at. So we're gonna, Yeah, we're going to start <laughs> announcing in Greenwich time. Just so it's, <laughs> This is all GMT from yeah. now on. Yeah, Mark would be happy. Mark, Mark Holmes would be happy. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, thank you. It's still midnight, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at time zones. Like the actual math of that, it like just just makes me so crazy. I get it wrong all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. If you notice in our game, I count on my fingers, so you know we know how that's going. <laughs> <laughs> that's like what my wife does. She'll be like one to two, two to three, four to four. We have to be there for four <laughs> hours. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was really great talking to you. Uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing on a uh, basis that's not just dice camera action? Uh, yeah, so uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's just Commander Holly on YouTube, so you can check out me and my birds and all the stuff that I do there and play games. And uh, I'm Commander Holly on Instagram and everywhere else. I'm pretty much Commander Holly everywhere except for Twitter, where I'm at Holly Conrad because I guess I thought Twitter was official or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask you about the birds too. Dang oh. it. I know. Well, that's we definitely have to have you back on when Shelly's here because you yes. know, she's got her pigeon. Uh, uh, in her in her repertoire of characters that she plays, I forgot to oh ask. Oh my god, him. yes. Yeah, the 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 birds and the cat interaction. Uh, that might, uh... Oh, actually, my birds chase my cat, so that's a that's <laughs> yeah. My pigeons are really mean. Really, they like really to play mean. against type. Everybody in that family. Yeah, it, absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for calling in, and uh, I can't wait to see where uh, Strix goes in the future uh, or the past, as the case may be. <laughs> Who knows? Well, Who I'm knows? sure it'll be traumatic. It will be, and we'll love every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. All right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, Holly Conrad is a good people. Good people. Very good. Uh, she has quite a few birds. Is that the... Uh, I think so. Yeah. 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 We, we'll, we'll have to get into it when, when Shelly gets here because I think she said they rescues birds. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Plus getting into all the like the prop stuff and the shelf game that she's got. Yeah. There's... there's the, she's a, 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 an asset, a creative mind uh, that we can tap many times here for Dragon Talk. I know not everyone's a fan, but uh, one of the reasons I like the show Lost, just going back to the time travel and the yeah. name, just the way that it played with it going back and forward and sideways. Lost is a great show. Yeah, I just I love that alone. It's got a bad final. I, I, the whole season wasn't bad, good. but the conclusion was very disappointing. Mm, it's all good. Yeah, we'll get to that point. And another. <laughs> oh, I see what I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, did you see my, I, I, I made a Twitter post this weekend about the, uh, Dharma initiative in San Juan Island. <laughs> no, I missed that. Cause I, it looked like there was these, all these buildings that were all looked very samey and there yeah. was a dock that was definitely oh. like, you know, the old Dharma initiative things used to be. So I was like, oh my God, I found it. This is where the Dharma initiative took place. I, I did see the <laughs> social media post if, uh, Mad Max was better or worse than uh, Road Warrior. Oh yeah, dude. What was that about? Uh, or which one was the, the best? Uh, was, that, was that you, Sean? No. It was somebody else here who was trying to convince me. Thunderdome was. Uh, that Thunderdome was better than Road Warrior. And I was like, mm. you are wrong. <laughs> Sorry. That is just a false statement. It's because everyone remembers the actual arena or yeah. the, that one scene. Yeah. Well, there was definitely scenes in Thunderdome, which are really good. Yeah. But, yeah. And moments and, and performances. But as a film, it kind of falls apart. I, I stood by Fury Road. Yeah, I do too. Exactly. But we digress uh, because we could go on and on about 80s movies. Yeah. Like, that was like a – I think the chat like went crazy. They were like all into uh, uh, 80s fantasy movies that I remembered. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one was really good too. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw them scrolling by. Yeah, I, I do – I mean, Conan, of course, obviously yes. set a high, high bar for, for everything. And, right. And uh, yeah, everything. Princess Bride. Beastmaster. Be- yeah, Beastmaster as the, the ranger, I think somebody has suggested. That's so. very good. Yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, for those of you who are listening to Dragon Talk, you need to jump into the chat so we can follow along what you're saying. Uh, and that is on twitch.tv slash DND. We record uh, live these sessions uh, on, uh, on that every Monday uh, starting around 2 p.m. Pacific time. So jump in. Be a part of the conversation, uh, and maybe if you're if you're good, you got a really good question, you can throw it out there, and uh, we'll uh, let you rule Barter Town for just a little bit. Does that sound like a plan? I'm trying to figure out if I can parlay Bart into Barter Town. Uh, you just did. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Barter Town. Barter Town. <laughs> Somehow. Some mark. It's a work in progress. We're workshopping it right now. Uh, Bart. Town. How can they find out about <laughs> your, uh, you on the Twitters and other things? Uh, I am at Twitter at Bart underscore Carol. Uh, also, take a look. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to Dragon Plus, please do so. Uh, you can do it uh, iOS, Android, and DragonMag.com. That was a very, like, uh, very nice, courteous, like, please, please do it. Please subscribe. If you have a spare moment, please subscribe. You'll get this tote bag. <laughs> 
Actually, no, there's no tote bag involved. So. I've never in my life used a tote bag. Dude, I'm toting a bag right now. I wish I had a tote bag. But no, I use it for like carrying games around. Like that's the oh, best, that's like yeah. the best used case for me is 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 having the totes for the totes. Uh, I am uh, at Greg Tito on Twitter, um, and you can ask me questions about tote bags there if you like, uh, or Dungeons and Dragons, or both. Throw it out there. I don't care. Uh, if you want to find out about Dungeons and Dragons, it's at DungeonsandDragons.com. Uh, as well, on Twitter, at Wizards underscore DND. I mentioned uh, Twitch already, but you can find out more about what's happening with Tomb of Annihilation, which comes out September 19th wide and September 8th in game stores by uh, watching all of our programming all summer long on Twitch.tv slash DND. It's coming at you. It's coming at you fast. There's lots of different shows. And Force Gray Season 2 on Monday nights with some pretty big stars. Starting 731. 731, which you may be listening to in the past and the future right now when this is happening. By 731, we mean July 31st. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to say before we sign off from this podcast? Uh, no. When's Shelly coming back? Shelly should be back uh, once the amoxicillin kicks in. Uh, nice. So next week she, she should All be right. here. Although she will be absent on uh, 731. Oh, she's Taking the annual uh, pilgrimage to uh, Binghamton, New York. All right. Well, she's going to have to do a report on uh, all the upstate New York's going on. Uh, and... Uh, She's got to stop at Ithaca at least once. Uh, I uh, yeah. Have you ever been to Ithaca? I have been to Ithaca once. I've been to the Finger Lakes. Yes. A lot of nice wineries there. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll report back on Speedies and uh, minor league hockey and Wegmans. And Wegmans. The you gotta go to Wegmans. Store, yes. All right. Oh, and the Strong Museum. You gotta go there too. Oh yes. To see the D and D is is uh, in the Strong Museum as a uh, 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 the Toy Hall of Fame. That's a very good point. Do yeah, it. We will. All right. We got some homework. We'll take care of it. Thank you guys very much. Uh, We'll see you later on the podcast.